In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mark face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the everybody i'm chad volkelman i'm mark marble and this is the lantern cast episode 218 current reviews i know shocking this will make this will make some people very very happy at least the fact that we're doing it i don't know i don't know if, if they're really in been they couldn't wait for the content of what we're talking about but, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> but it's better to do this than to deal with the threshold stuff though <laughs> that's right just trying to put words in her mouth. Yeah, I know that was that was, it was clever. It was cute, but it's not going to work. It's like <laughs> talk about a vocal minority for threshold. You know, it's like two people who want us to do it, and not even because they, they probably like the content of the story. It's just because it's now like a holy grail for them to try to get us to do it. <laughs> we said 2015, guys. We did not say when. And that was the, and that was big enough because that was that was mostly Chad saying 2015. I wouldn't have even committed to 2015. <laughs> There are much. There are many more interesting stories that we want to do that we haven't even touched yet, including Ion, Emerald Knights, all the stuff, which is much higher on the on on the interest scale. Of, and I don't mean just from our point of view. I'm sure from the from the listeners' point of view too. So yeah, we'll get the threshold, but it is hardly uh, you know, it's probably it's probably a, a notch below Larfleys doing that series. <laughs> Actually, it's probably more than a notch below Larfleys, and even that and Larfleys is not really high on our list either yet but uh this time around speaking of interesting material we're covering issue 40s uh of the main lantern titles as well as issue 11 of sinestro and the annual number one of sinestro uh but mark's going to start us off with green lantern number 40 go ahead mark with the exciting cover green lantern no more like we haven't seen things like this before spider-man no more yep yep spider-man no more and we haven't seen hal not being green lantern before either and, and, on, and this cover you see, which we've already seen on, on the solicits, we see Hal with it wearing the gauntlet of Krona, kind of, at least in this version, sucker punching Kilowog, pretty much. But it's not a bad cover, as usual. Hal's a little stiff, but we'll de- we'll deal with that. <laughs> we'll deal with the artwork again as we get into the issue. So we begin on Mogo in the evidence vault, and the evidence vault detects a presence, and first they don't know who it is, and then. A hand goes, gets pressed against the uh, device to scan to see who it is. And we find out, of course, and the device, of course, the uh, in the evidence vault, what's being sought is Krona's gauntlet. And we find out that, of course, the visitor's name and rank have been identified. And it's, and it's Hal Jordan, leader of the Green Lantern Corps. And we see him put on Krona's gauntlet and backpack. And then 
Kilowog comes through the door saying, you know, to confront him, like everything we've been through, you know, f- from the beginning, basically, <laughs> is like, this is re- really what you wanted to come down to, you being a traitor. And it's like, let's get on with it then. Give me your best shot. And of course, I mean, now we, f- we flash back to, to an earlier time and another horror. Is that supposed, what is that? Is that really supposed to be? That's like a hologram of the central power battery, right? Yeah. And it's, it's still drawn horribly, but I'm still curious exactly why it's there. Um, but the new, the Templar Guardians are talking amongst themselves, going back to now it seems, my God, it seems like we've done, it has been eons since we did the last issues, uh, referring to how we, we saw all the, the, some of the planets starting to turn to stone, which of course must be related to what, uh, the source wall fiasco and the fallout from that. Mm-hmm. But the Templar Guardians are, are discussing amongst themselves how to deal with the threat, uh, should, should we play our final gambit, which always sounds interesting. It's like, no, it's too soon. We can't do that. We have to make proper preparations. And, of course, the Guardians are kind of going back and forth. And Yeekop, you know, was the one who kind of said, you know, we need to prep. And he's kind of countered by the fact that, hey, you know, the universe isn't going to wait for our timetables. We don't really have a choice. So the Guardians supposedly then make up their minds in unison that, you know, now it's time for us to act, which of course, as we all know, for guardians to act, at least when they're not completely insane, is a pretty historically has been a pretty rare occurrence. We cut to the mess hall, uh, Kilowog with his little chef's hat and apron and towel, which is kind of cute, with the most disgusting looking pot of crap I've ever seen. <laughs> Look like squid tentacles all hanging out, and and he comes out to try to, you know, he's, he he's cooking to try to feed the, the core, and the core all just keep walking away. Which you kind of feel bad for Kilowog because he because he was trying to do good, but you know since he's not a I guess only Balavaxians can eat that slop and not think it's slop. So Kilowog's kind of like literally crying over his not not really a uh, a bowl of milk or anything, but uh, <laughs> or spilt milk. It's more like spilt uh, grublet hash, as he called it. He's just sitting there with his with his unloved pot of food. Hal comes in and goes, "Mind if I join you? I want to," and they. <laughs> I like when Kilowog gives him the food and poor Hal eats it without even knowing. That was a nice touch. But uh, Hal is kind of the, they kind of have their talk about family, you know, and how the you know the core is like that unifying thing for both of them, and and you know Hal's Hal's laying it on pretty thick, and Kilowog picks up on it and goes, "Well, it sounds like you're retiring." And he's like, "No, I'm not retiring. I'm I'm leaving." And Kilowog calls him out, saying, "You know, can you bleed green? I mean, you, you're you're full of it." And, he, and it's like, and then we, Hal, pretty much explains to Kilowog what he what his intent is is that based following up on what Kilowog's own words were in the last issue about how you know they they pretty much need this the universe needs to know that you know the system works for you know for us too that we're not above the law that we can punish our own. So I, so Hal comes Hal tells Kilowog what he's going to do that he's basically going to make himself to be the scapegoat. So become uh, like a renegade so the core can go against him and he can be marked as a criminal to kind of show the universe that see you know the core really does stand for something because they'll even hunt down their one of their own their leader Kilowog's pretty bright on this and he goes uh the bosses put you up to this didn't they <laughs> and of course how kind of dodges the bullet and says oh no this was my idea and and you know Kilowog and Hal it pretty much you know how they have a nice little moment there, and Kilowog kind of goes to Hal, you know, you know, you you kind of can't go back from this, you know, this, and you, and there's no going to be not going to be any forgiveness for this. And Hal says that I understand that, 
And Kilowog says, you know, I don't like this. I hate it, in fact, but pretty much just tell me what you need me to do. So now we flash forward to the confrontation of the evidence vault. Wow, Kilowog looks horrible on that page. It looks like he did a lot of steroids. Uh, so basically, Kilowog kind of like taunts how to, you know, if you're going to do this, do it right. So they end up getting into this, you know, this, this big fight back and forth. And Kilowog continues to, uh, you know, it continues to daunt. Excuse me. He continues to taunt Hal, and kind of makes it even more daunting for Hal to, you know, pull off what he wants. Till till he gets he he succeeds in getting to the point when it gets Hal really really pissed, you know, and Hal kind of starts laying in, laying into him a little bit more, and is it's an interesting fight scene. It's not like the Emerald Twilight fight scene, and not just because of the outcome, but because of you know the relevance of it and the way it's drawn isn't is nearly as good. Hal looks pretty stiff. On a lot of these panels, uh, you know, but Hal pretty much beats him down, and he, he's yelling at Kilowog like, "Let me go!" And he, and he goes, "You know, I got to give it to you. You're the be- you're the best hero I ever knew." And then, <laughs> and I like Kilowog when he when he goes that, you know, just remember that you didn't beat me. I let you win <laughs> right before he loses consciousness. <laughs> and then there's probably one of the best, probably the best uh, page in the book is when uh, Hal is kind of like hugging the unconscious Kilowog. At this point, Salik. And a few other lanterns, including our buddy Muck Muck, show up and they see Hal in the act of wearing the gauntlet and and oh and hovering over the knocked out Kilowog, and you know Salak is kind of like stunned. He doesn't know what to do. Goron's son doesn't know what to do. Muck Muck seems to be he seems to care a little bit less about about oh my god that it's Hal as opposed to doing what needs to be done. Uh, the lanterns confront Hal. Hal pretty much you know takes him out. Quickly with with the power from the gauntlet, and he flies off and flies off to leave Mogo. Salak tries to get Mogo to uh, basically kind of like use his gravity to prevent Hal Jordan from leaving. You know, before that, ha- you know, before that happened, you know, Mogo was kind of conflicted, I think, it, to begin with. So that kind of also gives Hal the opening that he needs to fly off of Mogo, and he you know he blasts away basically into space. And Salak, you know, asked his ring to try to find Hal Jordan, to, you know, to locate his ring. And then he realizes that Hal Jordan's ring is still in his locker where we pretty much saw him leave at last issue. So Hal is ringless, so he can't be tracked by the core. He's on his own, as he, as he says in a pretty cool panel when he's blasting off a of Mogo. Uh, as the core kind of begins to pick up the pieces of what just happened, the Templar Guardians kind of comment. You know, so ceases the tenure of the greatest Green Lantern of all. <laughs> it did not transpire as we as we Guardians intended, but with Hal Jordan, events rarely do. And they come to the conclusion that, you know, since we have more pressing matters to deal with, which, of course, is, you know, what's going on in the universe with everything turning to stone, that Jordan's travels will be his own. And he will be on, he will be alone to do what he must. And in two months, a bold new era begins, or so they tell us. And thus has, and thus ends Green Lantern forty. There's an art mistake um, when uh, Kilowog comes out with his stew. You on that page? Yes. Look at Green Lantern box. He has hands, right? He's got hands. Why does he have hands? He's not supposed to have hands. And why are they like Mickey Mouse hands? <laughs> Maybe they're retractable hands when he really, really, really needs. <laughs> I just when he Googled, really, really needs to eat, he can grow hands. I just Googled Green Lantern box, and every image I'm seeing of him, he does not have hands. 
Well, that's kind of par for the course, anyway. <laughs> um, Kilwag looks really good in almost every uh, panel. Almost, yes. I really he like. Really, he looks really good. On, it's kind of funny. It's like you have the best and the worst on the same page. You have that close up of his face. Yes, you have the close up of his face right before Hal smacks him in the face with the fist. That that's like the best we've seen Kilowog look in ages. And then right above it, he looks ho- so horribly out of proportion. Look at the little feet. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like duck feet or whatever. Like I don't know. It's it's yeah. It was. Let's be honest. We know the. You know, not to pile on, or, but we are consistent anyway. The, you know, the art, the artwork is not with Billy Tan. The artwork is going to be shaky more times than not. So, usually when he's drawing humans, yeah, usually usually when he's usually when he's drawing humans. But uh, there were some there were some panels in which Hal looked pretty good, uh, like when Kilowog is poking him in the chest after. Uh... After oh, well, that's when they're starting to fight. Well, when they're starting to fight, he uh, the page yes. after he says you got to earn it. Yes. When he's poking Hal in the chest, Hal looks pretty good there. Yeah, there are a few. There are a few panels. I mean, and Hal's face looks pretty decent on the let when he's screaming "Let me go." Though that that panel does have the advantage of not showing his hair in full. <laughs> but in that, but in that uh, panel right above it, when they're having the they're, most of their heavy duty fight scenes, first of all, the background I think is horrible. Yeah. Does nothing at all for 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 the artwork and Kilowog in the top of the page when ha- I mean it's like I don't know Kilowog looks halfway decent in like at least three of the four uh, pictures on that on that panel but in the top screen he's awkward again and Hal is stiff as a board in at least two of those shots that we can see his full body and it's like I don't know so I think Hal's only bending his legs in one of them I know I mean I know I I. I think overall, this, I, I I just hate to pile on, but it's hard not to. Uh, I think this book would be would be. I think the material would be viewed a lot better if we had a better artist on this book. I think I think it would, at least when it comes to drawing Hal. Again, like we said before, if Hal wasn't the main character of this book, then it may not be a big deal. But I mean, he looks good on the on the on the title page, the resolutions page. He looks pretty good there. Even his hair looks pretty good. And he doesn't look stiff at all there. He's drawn like a real person. So I think what happens, probably what it really looks like is the clo- the the closer up of an image you get of Hal, Billy Tan does a better job. Yeah. And the more distant, the you know, the more distance you have between like the viewer and Hal, that seems when he gets to be the most stiff. That's what it looks like if you're really, but I don't know. But more or less this issue kind of, with uh, with maybe an, an exception here or there, pretty much as we talked about last issue, kind of like everything, at least you know I kind of suspected was going to happen, and this issue kind of did. Uh, we kind of knew what Hal was going to do. We knew, you know, and we knew the Guardians were behind it, even though, of course, on the surface, the uh, Hal doesn't want you know Kilowog. Hal doesn't want Kilowog to know he's behind it. But I guess it was like he said, it was important for somebody to know that he was doing it on purpose, that he wasn't. Going off the deep end. Right. So. No, I thought it was pretty good. Not a whole lot to say. It was a lot of a lot of it was on the surface. Because I was looking like through the uh, as they were knocking over shelves and stuff like that. I was looking through the weapons to see if I recognized anything. I didn't see anything. No, if but it was pretty good. I mean, it kind of ended the way we thought. Like I said, kind of for the most part, and it does 
and it does create, you know, an, an potentially an interesting uh, new status quo. But we'll we'll see how that goes, and we'll see how you know how long it lasts too. Yeah. All right. Uh, next issue. Sure. All right, next issue is Green Lantern Corps number 40. Uh, okay, so we open years ago in Space Sector 1313, approaching the planet Zanshi. Um, John and um, Catman are heading down towards the surface of Zanshi to investigate the spread of a new disease. And uh, they, uh, one of the individuals uh, on the planet surface tells them that it started after we uh, we had uh, we were warned not to drink but we had no other water because um, uh, something happened to their water supply and they were told not to drink it but they don't have any water and they're not gonna die of thirst so there they go so they follow they, they trace the source and they come across this big uh, big thing that they don't know what it is. John says, if it's, you know, killing these people, I'm going to tear it apart. So he approaches it, and then uh, Katma says, John, this this thing, it's a bomb, and you just armed it. And he's like, God, I didn't know, I swear. And then, ba-boom! Uh, the planet Zanshi does what Zanshi does, and explodes. Um, <laughs> and uh, now, beneath the planet Zarox, he encounters the same device. And they're facing up against uh, the, uh, the uh, Shadow uh, Empire. Um, John says he's going to build something to, you know, get this, uh, get the device out of there. Uh, trying to be careful not to risk a detonation. I could break it down panel by panel, but there's a little bit of a back and forth in here, and I don't want to go too long here. Uh, John takes it uh, out onto the surface. It falls down uh, onto the surface. It's 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 on the the, the surface now. Um, I guess John had lost control of it and it fell out of his grasp or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, the shadow, they asked the shadow empire, why are you doing this? You know, and, and the bomb is not unlike your rings drawing power from emotion, but it is fueled by hatred, greed, lust. Each dark act filled the bomb with the energy that will tear this planet apart. Um, they then the Shadow Empire chick then reveals that uh, they have Morrow and Morrow is in uh, their uh, their control and you know he he only wanted one thing he never listened he just wanted to speak and he fights his fellow Green Lantern members um, tells him you deserve to be snuffed hasn't snuffed out back on the moon above Ungara in Sector two eight one four where um, uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, the, the, the Durlin, um, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Von Daggle. That's it. Von Daggle is, uh, working with his former partner as they're going up against a few, uh, aliens on this planet because they also, I think they also encountered a bomb in the last issue. Um, although, no, they didn't show it. They didn't show right, they it. they implied it. They implied it. Uh, but, uh, there, there it is. They run across the leader of the Shadow Empire over here, if not the leader of the Shadow Empire in general. Um, they go, you know, they're trying to, to fight one another, and uh, she, uh, the, uh, Von Daggle's former partner, uh, arms the bomb, you know, kind of like a Catch-22. Um, so it's not fully charged, but it's enough to blow the moon apart. So they all escape, the moon explodes, 
Uh, it's over back on Zarox. Uh, the Shadow Empire is threatening uh, her, uh, uh, her, her. Why can't I remember these people's names? It's been too long. That's, I was just gonna say that's uh, that. I always find having the same problem when we were. I was going through the Sinestro Corps issue because I always have trouble remembering. I mean, uh, remembering some of those other core members, and it's like Fesca. Yes, it is Fesca. There we go. They're threatening Fesca's son. She's just don't dare threaten my son. She goes all crazy uh, and takes out a few people. You know, then they say, "Well, we can't. We can't get rid of the bomb. We can inspire these people." Uh, another being comes out of the face. So this other uh, of this one individual that what they were just talking to. I don't know her name. <laughs> That's weird looking. Um, they're uh, all fighting these monsters, and they keep saying Darkness Falls, and John's like, not yet, and then he uses his uh, uh, sapphire power and, you know, cuts the arm off keep fi- uh, of one of the, the beings. Keep fighting, keep fighting. And uh, this, uh, the Shadow Empire chick is about to kill Fesca's son. Uh, everybody sees it, says no. More importantly, Morrow sees it, says no, fights back. You will not touch the boy. Uh, then the populace starts fighting back. She says, no, this isn't how the game goes. No planet has ever fought off the infection. Um, so, uh, they, you know, just, they're still, they're still, uh, she's still trying to arm the bomb, uh, get it to blow up. He says, all these years, uh, John says, all these years, every time I close my eyes to sleep, I saw Zanshi falling apart around me. So many times I've wondered what I could have done differently. Uh, there was nothing any lantern could do to stop us then or now. Even willpower has its limits. And he says, maybe, maybe so, but love doesn't. And he goes all sapphire and blows the ever-loving hell out of this bomb, uh, but not in a way that explodes the planet, more of a way that just disarms and obliterates the bomb itself. Everybody cheers. The Shadow Empire individual disappears. Druk is stumbling over words, saying, I'm happy, like, you know, you're not dead and stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's basically how he says it. Uh, Fesca kisses Druk. Aww. Um, and then Morrow and everybody make amends. Uh, John tells them, you know, this is your sector. You know, you know take care of it, Druk and Fesca. I got some other stuff to do. Um, I'm gonna take this ring out into the universe and let it shine. In the end. You know, I like the background more than I like John there. Yes. And it actually, it actually blends in perfectly with almost with the. Do you have the convergence page on the next one? Oh, the digital the, issue. Where do worlds yeah, go? Yeah, it kind of blends in nicely with that. As a matter of fact, uh, it was okay. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, when you when we were talking earlier about other stories we need to get to before uh, uh, threshold, uh, the the original story where Zanshi dies, I have not read that. Neither have I. I've never read the original uh, the original storyline where well, that was called something. I might even have the issue where Zanshi blows up. Um, it, I don't think it was in an, an issue of Green Lantern. It was in like its own story. Um, I just don't remember what it was called. Um, but I'm pretty sure I have it. I just haven't read it yet. Um, so I wanted to go back and, and read it, but I didn't time permitting didn't really have that. Uh, and I kind of figured it's not that big of a deal in terms of commenting on this issue because once we finally do get to that story, it'd probably be more entertaining if I went into that with fresh eyes than 
read it now just for like one or two pages of story in this issue. You know what I mean? Yes. So. We can see a sharp divergence here, though, from the, um, from the, uh, oh, God, uh, what was it? The five-year thing. Darlin? No, the five years later. Uh, oh, Future's End. There, yeah, there you go. Future's End, a sharp divergence from Future's End. Remember, we kind of, we kind of called it. We basically said they're, they're going to go right up until the point of no return, and they're going to make a sharp left. So they did the same thing with Moro. Moro didn't go all bad. He came back. But he could always go back again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, I guess that's true, but it kind of seems like they were... They, they... There was a point of no return here, and it was Moro letting the kid die, and he didn't let the kid die. So he's back on the team of... You know, I, I guess, yeah, like you said, there's always a chance he can go back, but still... Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, Core has been pretty much. It's been consistent. It just hasn't been consistently one of our favorite books. Uh, there's some good things in it. Again, I like Fesca. I like Jeruk. I like their relationship. Uh, I also did like, which of course happened. When I think it was last issue when we when we found out that the Shadow Empire chick is really the the kid that Abin Sur saved in Tiger. And tigers. Right. And right. I thought that was I thought that was a nice touch, uh, and the idea that you know pretty much just landing on that planet pretty much infected everybody in a different way, including you know, Abin Sura made him paranoid and everything about Blackest Night, and and the little girl was there just you know she was poisoned pretty much by the. So I I do like that. It was a pretty good story. It was, and I, I did like the fact that you know that Morrow came back. And I also like the fact that, you know, uh, Fesca's planet kind of wasn't as far gone as we thought they were, as, you know, as far gone as we thought they were in general. So I like the fact that they rallied back. Might be, again, a little too convenient timing-wise, but it, you know, it was a nice story. It was good to see them actually doing something of late with John Sapphire powers, which kind of makes up, in a way, it's been maybe like they're trying, maybe not purposely, but it seems like in a way they're trying to compensate for it giving him the ring and not having him use it at all during the end of uh, Godhead. <laughs> so, right. It was pretty good. But. I think I think in this issue they overused that stupid red color effect thing. It's funny, I mean, it's not, I mean, I knew you, you, you were going to mention it, but it's, I was also thinking, I really hope, I really, really hope when the book, basically the the new version of Core, you know, the Lost Army starts that I, and Cullen Bunn's Taking over this book, I really hope those red panels go the way of the dinosaur now. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to get used to it, and I see their point, but they were really overused here. Let's see, I am. Let's see, I'm seeing one, two, and I, you know what? I'm gonna count. I'm gonna count the ones that aren't just the red panels, but they use this the, the same effect but different color, like when. Uh, uh, What's her name? Arms the bomb, and John is ta- holding the holding the bomb over the city and everything. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, at least seventeen panels in this entire issue use that effect and i'm i'm not just talking about the the white 
the white, gray, and red. But like, you know, when when Moro uses his uh, his big construct and smashes him in the dirt, uh, that's one. When John's carrying the bomb, he brings it up through the surface up in the air, and he's he's screaming, uh, oh, he's screaming, I have it from here. Right. That's the same effect, different color. I mean, they, that effect is, I get it, I understand why, but they really overused it in this issue. Yeah, I, I, I like you said, I, I can understand part of why they, you know, part of why they're using it, but it would, I think we're at the point now where I, especially with a new creative team, I really hope it kind of goes away. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice resolution, though. Yes, it was good. It was good resolution. All right, next issue. Oh God, Red Lantern Forty. <laughs> Your turn. The cover's cool. The cover is cool. He he kind of has that de- like the combination of like the the devil and le- like a devilish like uh and Doctor Strange combination. <laughs> oh, he's got like a like almost like a skull kind of nose to him too. But it's a really cool picture of Guy Gardner basically it's like symbolically with his hand up with his hand above the the red earth and but the world will burn. So I'm trying to figure the best best I guess we'll just go and Yeah, just just surface level. Yeah, because I'm go- that's, that's, there's, there's no need to say what's going on in the background when he because Yeah, because it comes you, out of the you, conversation you, with the system, so that's the important that's that's yeah. pretty much where I was going with it, but it just begins. You know the way it begins, it kind of like throws you off when you're. The only yeah, because yeah. there's no spe- there's no specific fight. He's he's just in, in the background. He's just dealing with the effects over Atrocist, the world yeah, of Atrocitus. He's he's not going up against anything in particular. It's just him roaming the world, going up against a bunch of various people. Yes, he's he's continuing his quest to try to basically absorb the rage of all the people that Atrocitus made go apeshit crazy with uh. Go ape shit or bat shit crazy, excuse me. Uh with with rage during the you know, the Atrocitus War storyline. And you have you just have guy talking basically he's talking to his talking to his sister. Uh but before we get see them sitting together, we see all these panels of him confronting different rage infected people. The only interesting thing that comes out of it is where a guy supposedly reveals that he's colorblind. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I don't know if I believe it, but it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Which I guess it, maybe if you can, when we get to the ending, maybe you can read into that a little bit more. Maybe that plays into it. But so you have you have guys you have. Oops, my book just closed on me. You have in Baltimore, ironically, uh, guys sitting there with his sister having coffee, and of course, continuing with the one of the ugliest babies on the face of the earth, <laughs> who his sister, the cop is again ironic, is holding the baby, and guys pretty much trying to fill her in on everything's been going on. That you know he's been pretty much going around the world dealing with you know dealing with all these rage infected people, and he's been tr- you know he's been trying to absorb the rage, trying to deal with it, and he can feel all the rage throughout the world. And the part that I kind of thought was interesting when he's talking about the you know there's something out there, something that keeps waking up in people, a creature generated from the collective emotion of our world. And then he talks about the entities and how they used to, you know, there used to be entities and and everything. Just guys points out that he thought he could, he thought that maybe he could absorb this power and pretty much, you know, starve out this thing that seemingly feeding the rage. 
but he can, you know, he keeps absorbing it and it just keeps coming back stronger and stronger. And it's like, I, you know, I'm fighting the entire world and, and I'm, and I'm losing. And, you know, it's, you know, his sister kind of points out that, you know, that everybody, you know, that you're not, you know, you think you're supposed to save the world from being angry, kind of like, you know, people are angry all the time, but it's like, that's part, that's part of life that, you know, just because you're angry doesn't essentially doesn't mean that you don't have any, anything else to bring to the table. You're not just defined by your anger, but we see, uh, you know, but, but while they're talking, guy kind of, you know, gets, gets, gets sick. He feels, you know, he feels the rage. It's a, a huge amount of rage being, de- being detected. So he goes to his knees and he starts vomiting. And, you know, while she, his sister has the baby and guy kind of says, you know, I, I can't really deal with, I can't, nobody can help me deal with this, but I can help you. And then all of a sudden, miraculously enough, she gets transported. She gets transported into space and, and a little rescue pod, which we find out that pretty much he, guy had put some kind of implant in her during what the rise of the third army. Yeah. I guess to be able to protect her or to get her out of Dodge in case she needed to. Uh, you know, so, so you know, Guy is, you know, Guy is really freaking out. He's feeling all the all the rage, all the anger that, you know, it basically wants a guy. He feels that this creature, whatever, whatever, this, whatever the essence is that he's fighting, that it wants his rage. Uh, his sister, while in, his sister in the pod pretty much sees a video of the guy had prepared that, you know, if you're seeing this and basically, you know, we're in deep crap and, you know, basically use the frequency in the ship to seek out, you know, John Stewart or several other lanterns that I know, you know, cause they'll take care of you. And it kind of just isn't a loop. Uh, guy, you know, guy determines that he just can't let, you just can't let this thing win. Uh, his sister, you know, gets sick, <laughs> kind of get being driven crazy by the loop. And she, finds a communicator button and she just screams into it to guy and guy hears her and he's kind of telling, you know, again, she tries, she just basically gives him the pep talk that, you know, no matter how bad things, you know, have ever gotten, you've always been able to see the bright side. And it's like, uh, just more or less, more or less get off. Your, you know what? Fin- finish this and get me off this stupid ship. <laughs> and then essentially what guy does is guy kind of realizes that, Kind of similar to, uh, in a way, to what Jim and I just talked about with Hal with the Spectre and that Destroyer of Worlds arc. That instead of absorbing everything, he kind of re- guy kind of realizes the way to the way to free himself is to let it go. That he kind of like kind of like frees himself. He lets the anger out of himself, not not because not in a negative way. He just kind of just gives himself up to it. And at the same time, he realizes that you know all basically every emotion is inside of him to begin with because because he's a human being, he's alive. It's not just rage that's inside of him. So basically, he lets he lets his rage loose, but but he also lets loose his hope. And you know the hope, the hope is kind of I think overall that I think it's kind of fed somewhat by humanity, but it's mostly fed you know by guy's ability to transform his rage into hope, and then the hope joins the rest of the rage that had been pooling on Earth. It more essentially gets negated. Uh, the Earth, which was still basically a big, almost like a big red lantern with a red lantern symbol on it, which his sister saw from Earth, kind of reverts back to its normal self. Guy's red ring falls off his finger. And then we kind of get a, an epilogue where uh, her, his sister finally gets the cup of coffee back that she was kind of complaining about. Guy's got a bandage on his face, and thank God he's got more like a normal guy, closer to a normal guy gardener haircut again. So he still has the kid. 
And he just talks about, you know, his sister asked him, like, what happened to the ring? It's like, you know, you kind of like the blue light, you were green, you were red. Now what's going on? And how, and how, and Guy kind of gives this little description about how I really don't know how these rings work. Every time you think you got it figured out, you know, something new happens. And he goes, you know what? It doesn't really matter. It's a power ring, whatever color it is. All that matters is what I do with it. And she goes, just asks him, what are you going to do next, essentially? And he goes, what? Uh, I'm going to go everywhere and I'm needed. That's what superheroes do. And that ends issue 40. The there artwork, were, the artwork was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, not as good as uh, prior issues. Oh no! I mean, it, the book itself obviously was not as good once you know Soul left. Left, but still, it it's it wasn't it wasn't bad. I mean, it hasn't been. It was. It kind of picked. At least it picked up on the same kind of beats. You, you know, you. It, it kind of. I guess in a way, I feel bad because the. I think the creative team kind of got left in. Especially because you only had a few issues to do what you wanted to do anyway. They kind of were left in no man's land. And then even by the way the Atrocitus story ended, it's kind of like, it's like, there were a few different ways I think they could have gone with it. But I don't know. I think they could, their hands were somewhat tied based on the amount of time they had left to wrap things up too. So. I think the artist know how, knows how weird the baby looks because the baby itself says the word derp. Just saying. Yeah. I did like the effect of uh, Guy's ring in this. Uh, when you're on the page where he's talking to his sister and he says the words, I can feel, and I can feel all of it. Yeah, the way it kind of sizzles on his hand. Well, no, no, no. That's not it. Uh, he's, he's, it, 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 look at that panel and then look at the panel one, two pages later. You're a little closer to the ring. Two more pages, oh, yeah, you're yeah, right yeah. up on the ring. Yeah. You're like it's 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 not it's not a look at the ring. It's 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 not a just there for an effect. It's more well, when I try, it's it's there because it's not just showing you his power. It's also showing you, uh, guy, your ring's about to do something crazy, dude. <laughs> it's just it's it's sizzling like insane, and uh, we're getting a, a close up here that it's about to go apeshit. Um, so now what did you think about the end about the about the whole kind of what they're imp- I guess what's kind of being implied is in a way that it doesn't really matter what ring you have if depending if you tap into a different if you have a, a different kind of emotion inside of you you can still kind of channel it I don't know I really do much I don't think I don't know about that I'm not sure about that kind of changing the game as much to me, it was almost like a slap in the face, like you know that we've they've like they heard us <laughs> or something. You know, we, we we heard you guys talking about how the ring should have a set, you know, page or two of the weight things it should be capable of doing, uh, and not just pulling new new things out of the out of your ass every other issue. But uh, I mean, I still kind of think it, even though even though it is based on like emotion and stuff. I guess you can be able to, you can do a little more with it, you know, based on your level of emotion, but I still think there should be a set, you know, regardless of whether it's one page or several pages, there should be a set, you know, tell us what the rings can do. You know, if, if the green ring can do something that the red ring can't, then that's fine. Uh, or if all the rings can do a, a, a base set of, you know, these 
this one page of things, then that's fine. But they all differ in their own way. But I mean, like, I kind of feel like I want a less, you know, whatever the hell the story needs us to do, kind of right. mentality and they, with and these they, rings. And they kind of make, and they kind of more or less tell you that that's what's going on. Just with that little line about, I don't know. Every time I think I know how these magic ri- now now magic how these magic rings work, oh, something new happens. Which is really otherwise known as convenience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, with Guy, maybe, and, and as we know, seemingly Guy changed, or at least the explanation is that we've kind of almost accepted at this point that, you know, when Guy, you know, kind of tapped into the rings and did what he did when he had all of them inside of him and everything else, that he kind of changed the, maybe the base of them, that it's not so much magic base that it's even though he uses the term magic here which is weird but it's not so much blood magic based but maybe it's a little more truly on like owen but either way the the idea the idea that yeah i can have a red ring on but if i feel a lot of hope i can act i can i can use i can literally channel blue energy out of my red ring or take my rage and turn it blue i don't know that that's that does kind of like defeat in a way the whole purpose of having different parts of the emotional spectrum. And it also weakens the kind of indigo core, which the indigo tribe, which was the only one that should, that technically could, you know, channel all the other parts of the spectrum. So I didn't like it. I think it was just really convenient to do, uh, whether it's going to foreshadow him just being a blue, which of course was, we know that was the future's end version of guy or whether he, or whether he's going to almost be like a one man lantern core where, where every time he needs to channel an emotion, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen. Uh, time will tell, but I thought I didn't like that part of it. Yeah. Anything else? No, I don't think so. All right, Green Lantern: New Guardians, number forty. It all ends here. Um, we open where we left off in number thirty-nine with uh, Kyle going up against uh, Kyle and, and crew being Saint Walker, the Guardians, Carol. Uh, don't tell me, don't tell me, uh, what's his name? Exeter. There you go, Exeter, and that one chick. Um, we, her name shows up later. Um, Future's name chick. Up, <laughs> there you go. Going up against, uh, Oblivion. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's another, this is another back and forth fight. Um, they're trying to take him on, you know, head on, and that's not working. Uh, Oblivion is getting more and more powerful, going from a simple, uh, you know, spawn venom-like creature to start suddenly sprouting horns, um, and then getting bigger and bigger, becoming like a minotaur beast kind of a thing. Um, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. He says it's not working. You know, it, it's not going to help. Uh, your fighting only gives me more. I cannot be stopped. Um, you know the 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 planet's about to be de- destabilized because of all of this. Uh, one of the guardians says. So Kyle tries to grab Oblivion and take him off. Well, he's not going to harm five billion people. Um, uh, he, you know, Oblivion hurts the guardians um, with with energy. Uh, Kyle says he's going to give him what he wants, basically sacrificing himself. Uh, Brody, I don't know why that popped into my mind instead of St. Walker. Brody stops. Because well, he says, Brody, what are you doing? That's oh, probably okay. why. 
Sorry. That's all right. Don't blame me. I just didn't want you to blame yourself. It was, it was really, it wasn't overly subliminal. That's probably why you suck because that's what he would call him. Uh, Brody and uh, and uh, Carol try to stop Kyle. Um, Carol, they try to talk some sense into him. You know, there's, there's, you know, just change the rules. You think this is the only way to do it, and you're just gonna give up? Change the rules. He's like, yeah, change the game, change the rules. I got an idea. And he talks to the guardians, and they kind of enter their mind space so the telepathic mind space of the guardians which by the way but um bum you see that's the lantern from the tangent universe yes, right yes i was just looking at that now that's exactly what it is okay uh and among other things um and so kyle is talking to the lanterns in this part or the the, the guardians and this is part all the part i'll read now uh, kyle says the the universe needs a white lantern but it comes with access to the life equation even if I figure out how to put it back, it's there, and I'll want to use it. And I'm not going to be able, not going to stop being the White Lantern. I can't ask someone to shoulder a burden I'm not willing to shoulder myself. I won't. So, what do you want us to do? You want us to take the power for ourselves, or what? And he says, no. Uh, you guys know how to make rings more than anyone else in the universe, so how about we make some more? Uh, so he basically tells them, well, we're going to make some more White Lantern rings. But not only that, we're going to split the life equation into several parts. No one lantern, White Lantern is going to have the entire life equation. Um, so we're going to, you know, protect protect the equ equation. And if need be, we'll all come together and, you know, do what needs to be done. But in the meantime, we shouldn't be going mad with, with power or whatever. Uh, so we're going to make them and these rings aren't temporary. They're going to last and bam, off they go. Uh, he makes seven or they make seven new rings and say Soren, uh, which is the chick that's been fighting alongside them from this planet gets a ring. Talahi of fifth slime seven, which is like a, uh, what a creature from one of these like worlds that you would probably see in the eighties, like with random, uh, some sort of random uh, concept, like you know, there's a there's a robot world, and there's a there's a world where things are just math equations. And, and this, know, is this, is, geography world. <laughs> this is the geography world. This is the geometry world. world. Yeah. There you go. Uh, uh, Exeter gets uh, a ring. Uh, Rogman yep. Shea of the Nest uh, gets a ring. Telus Sir of Daxon, that's interesting, gets a ring. Uh, they all accept, and the ring says the same thing to each of them after it says their name. You have the ability to preserve life in all its forms. Will you join the White Lantern Corps? Yes, acceptable. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Oblivion's like, what have you done? What I should have done a long time ago. I gave the power to others. They go all up against Oblivion, trying to take him out. Kyle flies right into him, rips Oblivion out of the giant monster he's become. And then Oblivion uh, disintegrates into nothingness. Uh... And, you know, uh, Kyle uh, kind of gives the rundown to the new recruits. Each of these contains a piece of the life equation. Brought together, they can change the universe. You, we need to keep it safe, and we need to do some good. The universe is a messed up place, but it can be better. We can be better, but I can't tell you how to do that. You need to do that on your own. The only way to stop power from corrupting is to make sure it's spread. And so go, do, so go and do good. And if you need me or us, all you need to do is call. So they all fly off and do their own thing. Um, except for uh, Exeter and uh, say Soren. There's a couple interesting... There's an interesting thing here where uh, 
uh, Exeter says, I know how to use this. How is that so? And uh, Kyle says, built into the ring. Uh, it won't tell you what to do, but it'll tell you how. I figured these things should come with an instruction manual. <laughs> so, <laughs> this book is doing what the, the very previous one did not. Um, <laughs> uh, they all, uh, they all go off to do their thing. Uh, the Guardians come up to apologize to Kyle. He says, it's okay, and gives him a big hug and kiss. To which one of them responds, well, this is most irregular. Um... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, the the guardians say we gotta go. They they go off into the area, and Kyle and Carol's like, you said, uh, you split the power into seven rings. And she's he's gonna give her a ring. She's like, are you trying to put a ring on my finger? Uh, like we needed like we needed that crap. <laughs> she says no, and I like being a star sapphire. And but they're gonna stay together and everything. And it's time to go home. The end. And he sends the ring off into uh, into space to find uh, another person. Because it'll know who it should go to. There we go. It's certainly better than Core. I like it, and I still like the color palette. I think there's a... I don't know why, but I was... I've, I've said it the, almost every issue for the past few issues. Uh, I just really like the color palette and the storyline. Kyle with you know Kyle making the rings have an instruction manual of course is it's not just you know the irony of course of but whenever you know whenever he get, it's the double irony of the fact that whenever he gets a power, whenever he gets a power ring essentially he never has an instruction manual for it I mean when he got his original ring he didn't know what the hell to do with it when he became, you know when he was a blue lantern he really didn't know how the hell to use it or how to turn off any of the automatic abilities in it because and now, of course, when he was as a White Lantern, he kind of was figuring out as as he as he could go, or once again, as it was convenient to the story, you know, he would have powers or he wouldn't have powers and such. Uh, I like the fact that we get Exeter's first name. Yeah, that's kind of I like Exeter a lot, so I think I was pretty happy that he got the ring. I think it kind of is, especially considering not just because that it, you know, he, in a way, not really his fault but he did kind of fail as oblivion pointed out to, to protect the universe you know from uh relic and then of course they had his own people turning on him essentially in that one issue arc that we had so it was kind of nice to see him get his day in the sun and speaking of sun of course it's kind of cool that a daxamite got it yeah that is cool and i just I, hope they don't i just hope they don't go the route of you know daxamites are Known for being anti-alien and blah 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 blah, and absolute power corrupts. But yeah, you know, I don't think so. And even though a lot of, again, it all depends on one's take on the emotional spectrum. A lot of people might not like this, even though it was kind of hinted at when we got all the we got all the hints for how the Green Lantern stories were going to go, how the how the books were going to end. About uh, that, we kind of a lot of the suspicion was that you know we were going to get more than one White Lantern. That was going to be the solution to the problem, but. Even though, again, it depends on one's take on the emotional spectrum, whether you like it or not. I th- I, I have no problem with the White Lantern actually being a core. It kind of makes sense. At least there's a logical reason for this for there to be a core. Um, of course, in theory, there's nothing that would prevent somebody from going after all the White Lanterns one after the other and collecting the ring, So, which I'm sure at some point will be a story. But I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought the resolution was good. Um, so it, it it ended well, and of course it it was it was a nice touch having the, you know the cover being an homage to Green Lantern Fifty One 
again. Right. All right, Sinestro 11. Sinestro 11. With the cover against the Apex League. Because where we left off in the last issue was Sinestro had been captured by Mongol because his power ring had been drained. And, you know, he's he sent a basically an order to send the Sinestro Corps to come to, to fight. He's come to War World to try to deal with Mongol. And, of course, he also sent off a second beacon, uh, which, of course, we found out by the end of the issue went to call to Becca, who, of course, did in fact accept the Sinestro Corps ring that she was offered. And that's how that issue ended, which leads directly into this. We have some nice little um, monologue from, or internal monologue by Sinestro about how, you know, War World, War World's fleet consists of, you know, basically both robots and uh, and living uh, pilots. And Mongo doesn't really care one way or the other, but of course, you know, living creatures can surprise you. And of course, Becca, you know, Becca has the effect on the, you know, on the living pilots that we had seen through during uh, Godhead, you know, the, the four-year love that more or less he kind of like fall in love with her, at least temporarily, which is all, you know, she needs to keep destroying them with with her sword. Uh, we get a nice a double splash page of the, of the Sinestro Corps and Becca engaging uh, War World, the, the troops of War World. Um, we see Sinestro, who's still hanging upside down, and capture, but of course it's Sinestro, so even when he's in the, the worst possible position, he never stops being Sinestro. You know, so he, so he, what's this guy's name again? Uh, I know he I, says it at some point, but unfortunately he doesn't say it on that first page. Alright, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, but he's talking to one of the member of the uh, Apex League, who's who's kind of observing everything, and and you know, Mon- uh, Mongo Sinestro pretty much talks to him as like, could you really have kind of been so blind to misjudge Mongol's nature? Do you really think Mongol, after he gets done, you know, wiping out my Sinestro Corps, do you really think he's just going to more or less pack up and go running to help you in your fight against the Paling? It's like you know, Mo- you know, Mongol pretty much does what he wants, and he's you know, he he pretty much. Uh, you know, War World pretty much is set in design to basically turn all the worlds that they conquer or destroy, you know, to more or less turn it into mulch for fuel and everything. So he's going to do what he wants to do. And, of course, uh, the the Apex League member goes to him. I mean, don't try to, con- you know, what are you trying to con- – don't try to convince me essentially to trust you or to, to change our allegiances. And it's like – he goes, you spread terror across the universe. He goes, of course, but, but who's better to stand against anti-emotion zealots than us? And then they have a very – I like this part because Sinestro really talks about uh, – he kind of gives an interesting definition of fear, which, of course, is not surprising coming from Sinestro when he talks about – so he goes, like, who better to stand against, with you against anti-emotional zealots than zealots who use the most powerful of emotions? Perhaps you have lived in fear for too long, fear of the paling. Fear of seeing other civilizations crumble as yours crumbled. And now you can only see fear as evil, as the ghosts and goblins who terrified children in the night. But fear can protect the, the weak or urge the stagnant soul to action. Fear is the preamble to greatness. Fear can make you feel alive. Fear, when properly applied, can be a force of righteousness. But that fear requires a grasp of fear's nuances, its purpose, that most do not comprehend. And right out Right in that panel, when we hear the do not comprehend part, we, of course, we get Mongol. Mongol being his arrogant, cocky self. 
And of course, Mongo hits the magic remote control button he's holding in his hand, which starts draining the, uh, you know, starts draining the Sinestro Corps members' rings. At that moment, Mongol and the and the members of the Apex League attack. We have a nice uh, panel of uh, Arkillo and Mongol being reunited and confronting each other again. Of course, even though even though Arkillo does come out intact, it's still kind of sad that he did. Once again, he didn't get his moment in the sun. Maybe partially because the power is being drained from his ring, and of course, his uh, ring hand, his left hand, is really only made of ring of energy at this point to begin with. Uh, of course, Mongol kind of. It's taunting Arkillo and everybody else for being too weak, and then Becca comes through at the right time. She, you know, she slashes Mongol. You know, right at the power at, at the moment, all their rings go dead. You know, of course, Becca is still extremely powerful, just as being a, a new god. Mongol is his typical jerk self, taunting her. I was like, I like you. I'll ma- you'll make a fine concubine once you're broken. <laughs> um. We cut back to, Sin- to Sinestro, who's still hanging, and it seems like uh, this, you know, the Apex League member here is kind of, he essentially realizes there's a lot of truth in what Sinestro is saying, but, you know, he points out that we struck a bargain and we can't, you know, it has, and our agreement can't, you know, has to be honored. And good old Sinestro being Sinestro goes, I apologize. <laughs> I must not be making myself clear. You think I'm somehow begging for you to set me free, but Sinestro does not beg. I'm just kind of merely giving you the chance, basically, to uh, to uh, trade up <laughs> while you still have the chance before circumstances kind of like take it out of your hands. Right at that moment, uh, we have a Dez, a Sora, and Kale. They come breaking through. You know, they they rescue Sinestro. Sinestro. You know, Sinestro grabs the uh, Shade, that's his name, finally. Uh, he grabs Shade, and he kind of points out that, uh, you know, well, he tells Shade, you know, I want to know where Lissa Drax is, and Drac is, and, you know, lead us to the Mongols' control room, and then we can, you know, so we can teach our friend that the tide of battle, the tides of battle are mercurial at best. But one, one, lot, one interesting point, back tracking two panels, or so earlier, you know, Dez is kind of like going to Sinestro, like, what's going on? It just dawns on me, you know, pretty much, you know, you could have used Parallax to escape at any time. Even with, you know, Mongol siphoning your ring, you know, you really weren't, surely you really weren't afraid he could take Parallax from you. And Sinestro just kind of like stares at him for a panel and goes, sometimes, Dez, the mastery of a weapon comes in the refusal to use it. And I like that line. Uh, Mongol continues to, to battle, you know, to battle Becca. Becca continues to have her to use her powers even on the Apex League because the Apex League starts fighting back, saying "For your love, too." Uh, just at that, you know, at that moment, uh, Becca like takes her sword and she stabs Mongol. You know, before Mongol supposedly is about to finish her, which is debatable at best. Now, this, you know, the Sinestro Corps arrives, including Sinestro, all of their rings that are 100, percent and Mongol actually, you know. Does kind of seem surprised, like you reverse the siphon and it goes. You seem you seem surprised. Surely you hadn't forgotten who you were dealing with. And Arkillo's already like, "Come on, let's 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 get these guys." And and uh, Sinestro reins him in again. He goes, "No, hold your fire. I believe there are other arrangements to be made." And he and he goes to Sinestro, turns to Mongol and says, "You know, you wanted to be surra- surrounded yourself, or you wanted to surround yourself with the power of fear. So I'm going to grant you desire. You know, the rings of the fallen." So he pretty much encases him. You know, he encases them in remnants of. I'm assuming those are just ships and everything, right? 
that he encases yeah. him in. Um, so he, he kind of builds like a sarcophagus of all these uh, broken ship parts. He uses the rings of all of the fallen Sinestro Corps members that had died and kind of implant them all throughout you know, the uh, sarcophagus. And he shoots Mongol off into space, kind of like taunting him. So now you can see, like he goes to him and you can go and now see if there are other universes to conquer. And Sinestro turns to the Apex League and go, hey, you know, you, you wanted to draw the paling out, right? Well, Mongol is now a beacon of emotional energy. Sooner or later, they're, they're going to find him. So just follow this guy and guess what? There you go. We have a brief confronta- confrontation between Becca and Sinestro when she goes, I don't appreciate being summoned. But Sinestro, of course, being himself, points out, you did come, though, and that's ultimately what that matters. And he goes, uh, just like, you know, I just like I attacked Mongol, not because I, you know, I needed to, but because he possessed something I wanted. And he goes, Sinestro Corps, war world is ours. Which leads now directly into the annual. That's right. Uh, we open on New Korgar, um, as Sinestro and company are leaning over the body of a dead, uh, lantern. Um, Arkillo blames it on the refugees of Korgar. They, uh, their, uh, leader says they did not, uh, did not do it. Um, I'm just going to call her Jarta. Uh, forget her first name. That's fine. Uh, Jar- he says, well, how can you know? And she says, well, how can you know it wasn't your, one of your lanterns? Uh, Sinestro breaks it up, says, you know, Jar, uh, uh, Jarta, go uh, tend to the your flock of Korgarians. Arkillo, keep the lanterns in check. Uh, Lysa, do you see any prophecies? And she says, the future is blurry. All right, I'll figure it out for myself. Lysa, Ceranic, and Becca shall accompany me. And Arkillo, uh, in a moment, I'm sure uh, Mark enjoyed, kind of, uh, pipes up and says, Hey, what about me? I'm your most loyal subject. And you surround yourself with a Green Lantern and a new god? And, uh, you know, just stop dismissing me and blah, blah, blah. blah. And, uh, Arkillo eventually yields and, and, you know, with the help of Jarda and, uh, uh, Sinestro, uh, Lysa, Sora and Becca go into these tunnels. And this is when, uh, uh, Sinestro goes all, it's bedtime, it's, it's, it's story, bedtime story time now, uh, and tells the story of various people. First up is Becca. Becca's, uh, story on New Genesis, uh, basically all the guys are coming after her, not because she's, you know, hot, but just because they feel compelled to, you know, show their love and everything. It's affecting the guards, it's affecting her classmates, blah, blah, blah. It's her gift and her curse. That's right. Uh, she runs in to complain to her father, who is entertaining uh, High Father at the time. High Father, you know, sees this and puts her to good work on in the field of battle. Um, and uh, Becca cuts an extra off, says, you have no right. Lysa says, we know everything about you when you put on the ring. Like, for instance, and Sinestro's like, I'll tell Lysa's story now. So he tells the story of Lysa. Um, she was, uh, she grew up on Talok IV, which is, by the way, uh, one of the planets in the system that Shadow Lass of the Legion of Superheroes is from. I knew it. <laughs> uh, and um, she's the father of this one guy uh, and his colleague, uh, 
I almost want, almost want to say Azrael. Uh, it's Azrael, uh, shows up, uh, and, uh, you know, they're talking and, and everything. Um, he, uh, Lysa's father leads Azrael into his big library and he says, uh, this is a quaint collection, my friend, but I'd hope to see your true treasures, those tomes you keep under lock and key. Um, Lysa's father plays it off, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Azrael, you know, is wooing Lysa and says, well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to, to leave together with you, but not until I've had a peek at your uncle's private library. This is uncle, uncle, not a father. Yes. All right. <clears throat> um, she goes down into a secret uh, area, and and uh, her uncle ca- catches her. Says, "All right, you want to see here?" Opens the door, and Azrael is dead and bloodied, and he locks uh, Lysa in there. She screams for weeks and weeks and weeks, and he finally goes back in there. She's been eating, biting, chewing pieces. Because there's still books with pages in them, so I don't think she's eating them. I don't know what she is doing. Um, she, it looks like she's read every book in the library. Uh, Azrael's uh, skeleton is, is there on the ground. Uh, Lysa is insane. Uh, and she emerges. Uh, they cut back to them in the tunnel, and you know uh, Becca uses her power to open the, uh, a door with her sword or whatever. Uh, now we have to learn about Arkillo, who is raised religious, but the religion is, is one of, uh, of balance. Uh, it's, it's, uh, let's see. What few realize is that Arkillo is, is a reverent man, praising, like all his people, a god who wore both the face of a saint and the face of a butcher. Um, one day, Arkillo is having a conversation with his father, and he says, uh, you know, he says, uh, but our God embodies both peace and savagery. He turns away from neither. How can there be balance when all we know is peace? Uh, and his father says, well, you know, people can feel something wrong with you. You need to, you need to, you know, they're afraid of you. He says, well, maybe they should be afraid. They should fear that, that they know only one side of our God. Do they really think this is what our God wants? Do they really dare? Do they really dare standing before him come come judgment time with only a half-formed understanding of their own faith? If our God embodies both peace and violence, then isn't our blind devotion to one discipline blasphemy against the other? So on the day where he's coming to, it looks almost like a baptism, um, slash communion. Um, slash be the appropriate word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As uh, Archillo slashes the throat of his priest uh, and starts killing a bunch of people. Um, and then Becca's like, so this is who you, you surround yourself with. You can't trust any of these people. Um, and he's, you know, she says, uh, there's no honor among these baseless dogs. And he says, even monsters can be honorable. And then he tells the story of Rigan Kale, who was with one of Sinestro's members, you know, uh, around, he, he was, I guess he was part of the Sinestro Corps before, all of this, like when the Sinestro Corps first got so founded, yes, like Sinestro Corps War time, and he's flying around with this chick, and they're in love or whatever. She ends up getting sucked into this wormhole. Uh, when when she does, um, he's blown back their ring, both of their rings. Let's see what it says. Uh, when the when the burrower's portal had closed, both Rigan and Jezra's rings 
detonated. Now the fragments of those rings were embedded in the flesh of Rigenkale's arms. Um, so he's flying out in the universe. Uh, the, the fragments of Jezra's ring, sensing that their wielder was dead, sought out worthy replacement hosts, all of whom were Rigen promptly slaughtered. Um, so that's his story. Uh, Sora is trying to talk some sense into it. Uh, into her father and says something about, you know, traitors and you know who it was and, uh, you know, it was Dev Trevius. You know, he's the one that, uh, he's the one that, uh, def- you know, yeah, de- defied or whatever. Um, Dez Trevius, we go to his story. He grew up in, uh, a place that looks like China. Um, this is a story I didn't really get. I guess he was part of a higher noble class. Uh, he is gay. He loves another man. Um, and, but he's keeping his love a secret. Uh, and uh, he's part of this. And then he gets uh, married to this this one woman uh, to because they're bound by honor. Um, his his uh, real love confronts him and says... If it's what you desired, I will flee the city with you and live in exile. And, uh, and he says, uh, uh, the marriage of Cairo Eris comes with great, uh, comes, uh, with great respect and privilege. If I could leave, I could abandon all claims to title. And I too would live as a peasant. Yes, the two of us together. And he says, you would condemn me to squalor. And, and, uh, so that day, Des, who is the, the lover of this gentleman, uh, who just recently got married, and he pledged to teach his people just how tenuous such power could be and how quickly it might be stripped away. It kills everybody, including his lover and uh, his his lover's uh, bride. Um, and uh, that's his story. And then they come across uh, the reactor for Necropolis. Um, it's going through the whole prison planet. Uh almost down to the very core, and it's, and, and, uh, Sinestro says, they hope to destroy all of the Korgar, and how do we, you know, Sora's like, well, how do we find the traitor? How do we stop the meltdown? And Sinestro says, that's just it. I already know who betrayed me. To be continued in June. It was a long issue. Yeah. I, I like, I mean, the end at the react, you know, as the reactor was melting down, that was, I, I don't know, I didn't, I like, I mean, not that that's the best example of art in this issue, because Sinestro doesn't look that good, but Sora looks fine. But, I don't like, it was a little too, it was a little too easy just to throw out, oh, by the way, I know who the traitor was all along. Well, the art changes with each Yes, with each story, there's a bunch of artists in this book. And and in the interim, the the, the middle parts, the arts change too. Um, I really like the uh, Rag and Kale art. That was a cool story, and I like the art right before it, um, on that one page where Becca is holding her sword with the the constructs of the faces of the uh, Sinestro Corps members. Right. That looks that looks really cool looking. Um, yeah, because each each story has its own artist. Right, and then there's a then then the the narrative is you know the narrative has its own art the overall narrative has its own artist too the present day story 
So it was a, it was pretty clever. I mean, from that point of view, I liked the, I liked the stories. I mean, I thought most of the stories that be the background was pretty cool. I mean, I think it does help. I mean, it certainly helps to go and from the point of view if you're trying to humanize, you know, the this core that originally, much like the Red Lanterns that are that you were supposed to think pretty much had no redeeming qualities whatsoever. That this is a good example of how you know you, which we've kind of seen before with them saying there's good and bad, and you know, in all the cores, that you kind of see that you know the background. Of different of what makes you know, what kind of has gotten everybody to this point, you know, what made Lissa go go nuts, uh, what kind of has made Arkillo the way he is, where there is that part of him that's just you know, just completely violent, but that's not, but there's also the part of him that does kind of have some feeling to him too. So I I so I like that. I in a way, I mean, I just didn't like I I kind of just didn't like the whole setup that it's like, oh yeah, it's like uh, guess what, ah. I know who the traitor is. Not that I'm telling you till next issue, <laughs> but hey, it's, it's you, you got to do stuff like that, so it's understandable. Uh, let me let me just say, uh, the story was called Sinestro's House of Mystery. It was written by Cullen Bond. Present day art by Martin Cocolo. Yes, if I'm saying that right. Okay, and it says the uh, the Lysa Drac story was by Victor Ibanez in terms of art. The Becca storyline was Daniel Warren Johnson. The Des Trevenius, uh, Trevius art by Mirko Kolak. Uh, Arkillo art by Andy Kuhn, Kuhn. Um, Rigan Kale art by Ronan Cliquet. C-L-I-Q-U-E-T. And I like that. And, and I like the House of Mystery throwback too. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's I think it's what an annual should be. Uh, well, as close to what I think an annual should be, because these days annuals are just part of the storyline nowadays. I think annuals always should be an awesome one-shot story. And kind of this was, just because of its whole tale of the core kind of thing. Uh, but it does tie into another storyline, kind of. So there's that. So demerits for that. But I do like, I do like the fact that it's, you know, for... It's it's its own story and it ties into what's coming up, but it's just enough of its own story to get a pass for me. You know what I mean? Yes. So let's talk about eleven since we didn't talk about eleven. Oh, that's right. Go ahead. Now go ahead. Say what. You... Well, um, I like the art, but it when they're for whatever reason when they're in space it bugs me. It's almost. Too busy. I don't. I don't know if like the stars are too bright or too defined or I don't know what it is. There's a lot of constructs. There's a lot of use of energy. I think that could be part of it too. Yeah, it's too busy, almost borderline distracting sometimes. Um, it's it's not bad. Uh, it's just sort of distracting to me at times. I I could give two shits about the Apex League. Um, I think Mongol looks really weird in this issue, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, like, as opposed to the previous issues. And I, just, and I don't, and I don't like this new color scheme for Mongol either. Too, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't. It's good. I mean, it's always good to see Sinestro getting the upper hand on Mongol because Mongol's just too ton. Mo- Mongol just has too much tunnel vision and too much arrogance to really win. So that's what. So it's good to see, and that's part of, in a way, what's, you know, what's charming in a way. About Sinestro is that no matter how, no matter what, what kind of crappy situation he's in, even if he really doesn't have a way out, he's not going to let anybody know that he doesn't have a way out. 
And usually he does, yeah. mind you, but the point still is, even if he really doesn't, he's because of who he is, he's never gonna he's never gonna change his persona. He's still gonna keep being himself, so I don't really have anything was, else that like I said, I don't I don't care about the Apex League. So that that part of it didn't really do anything for me and, and Mongol there I don't think his characterization was wrong in here, so No, it's it's Mongol, so he kinda does what he does. It was a good issue. It was it certainly doesn't I mean it continues it continues this book as being the best of the Lantern books, I think. I don't think it really it's right. so which kind of, to me, at least raises hope for, you know, the Lost Army thing, the new Green Lantern Corps book, because at least with Cullen Bunn writing it, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, if he can bring, if he can bring to that book what he's brought to Sinestro Corps, we'll be in good shape. And plus, obviously, now there's more likely to be connect. We know there's going to be some connective tissue, at least based on what the idea that the Corps has disappeared. That's going to be that there's ramifications for the other two Lantern books, Hal's book and Sinestro, that they're both obviously it causes different reactions and different uh, uh, ramifications in each one of those books. But still, the like, the concept of that Green Lantern Corps book that we're about to get is going to be tied to the other books to begin with. But even with Cullen Bunn writing two with the three books, there may be more continuity, if you will, with some of the stuff that's going on. So. Right. We hope anyway. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about these issues? No, I, I, but I do think as as a whole, it was a good month of a good month's worth of issues. Yeah, um, I think it was good. The only problem is I just I just I don't like wrap up um, uh, issues. Um, you know, prior to some sudden big event or the ending of a series or whatever. Um, I think for, I think I'm judging these all, well, I'm judging Red Lanterns, Core, uh, and, uh, and, uh, New Guardians on the, with the whole veneer of, of wrap up, uh, of, of, for what they are, I like them, basically, as opposed to just straight out issues. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah, so I, I, I agree, I, but I think, even though they were wrap up issues, at least they, you know, at least they kind of, other than maybe Reds, which kind of, I guess, had no choice but to come up with some kind of, depending on what they're going to do with Guy going forward, maybe that, of all the books, maybe that one had to be more forced to come up with some kind of ending to, to give it, to either change the status quo or, or you had that, some dangling issues that had to be resolved no matter how we, you know, how we do it, no matter how we do it, we have to do it. Uh, I guess you could kind of look at New Guardians maybe the same way, but again, we don't know what Kyle and Guy's roles are going to be in the new post-convergence Lantern universe. So, guess we'll find out. But overall, they were—I think they were good issues, and I think New Guardians went out well. I think Core, for the most part, went out well. Uh, Red Lanterns probably was the weakest of the of the ongoings that just wrapped up, and. And Sinestro continues to be the best, and getting two issues of Sinestro was, was pretty good. Sure. All right. Anything else for this episode? Did you want to talk about uh, Avengers, even in non-spoilery terms? Uh, Briefly, or you want to wait on that one so we can say so we could do spoilers? probably wait because we yeah probably wait so we can do spoilers that and 
that and it's a six issue episode, so But it hasn't been that long though. That's the only reason why I, that's the only reason why I asked. We actually have done it in a really timely in a really tight fashion, so yeah, let's just save it until we can do spoilers. I feel I feel like if we put spoilers out now, people might be pissed off. But if we wait like a week or two, because this is coming out uh, next Tuesday, so yeah. Okay, that's fine. Just just figured to throw it out there. All right, guys, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode. And uh, next episode, I guess will all the issues of Convergence have come out by then. Will Convergence be over? And yeah, no. Uh, we depending again based on based on. Based on "quote unquote" popular demand, there's always a chance we could at least delve into the Parallax one because I'm sure the, the second issue of that should be coming out soon. Because uh, we know one one issue of both the series have come out so far, so we got to be getting close to the second issues coming out. So maybe, depending on what else is on the plate, maybe we'll maybe we'll alter. I'm not saying we have to, and, sh- and I'm just saying this now. Chad and I have not talked about it, so that don't take it to the bank or anything. But maybe we'll maybe we'll alter the original plan for. T- doing convergence maybe to, to try to get a little more current issue review since we'll be waiting a while before we get um obviously we have to wait until june until we get regular lantern books back again so all right you want to tell them how they can get a hold of us sure you can email us lanterncast at gmail.com lanterncast at gmail.com visit our website lanterncast.com you can check out our ring cyclopedia episodes uh, or posts, I should say, and, you know, technically videos, uh, not true episodes, but you can also download all and listen to all our episodes of the, po- of the podcast there. You can check out movie reviews and news and everything else that we post. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to find us on both. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher, so please feel free to find us there and give us a positive review there too. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think and what you would like to hear, and feedback on not just, you know, Lantern Cast proper, but the any of the special episodes and the spinoffs that we've done. So, feel free. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.